gentlemen, do you find yourself wondering about the direction of our world? Does it seem strange to you the senseless things people believe in and how when they believe those things, it can really mess up their lives? Do you want to know how to articulate your beliefs and what you are seeing so that you can have a meaningful conversation with those people around you? Then this is the podcast for you. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Salty Pastor. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we can't do this without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you're with us today. We're in our study of the book of First John, and First John is one of three letters that the Apostle John wrote. And he wrote them kind of in the uh, latter half of the second or first century. And just to give you a little idea what's going on here is that uh, most of the Gospels and the book of Acts written, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were both written by Luke. Most of those and a lot of the letters that Paul wrote were probably finished and written by 70 AD. Mm. And then the first John, first, second, third John comes along, Jude. Uh, probably in the late 70s, around 80 AD, and then the book of Revelation, which is the last book written in the New Testament canon, written by the Apostle John, was written after he was exiled to the island of Patmos by the Roman government, and it was probably written between 90 and 94 AD. Okay. So that just gives us an idea where we're at right now. But the book was written to refute... Since it's the latter half of the first century, uh, a philosophy that uh, a group of people tried to combine with Orthodox Christianity and create a new religion, and it was called Gnosticism. And so I want to be able to show people that today, I think, modern-day Americans have been trained to think like first century Gnostics. It's a way of thinking, not so much what you think. And it's very interwoven with postmodernism and postmodernism thought. And so we'll be kind of digging into that throughout this book because this book was written as a refutation against Gnosticism. And consequently, I think revelatory uh, purpose is powerful for us today because we're dealing with the same types of things. Mm. So we are studying that first letter that the Apostle John wrote to the church mm-hmm. in the second half of the first century. Um, and and this sounds pretty abstract, but the book of First uh, John is all about who we really are, our nature, and in what real reality we exist in, right? I mean, it's basically almost like a philosophy class refutation. Like we're, we're yeah. kind of signing up for a philosophy class um, refutation is kind of what John's doing in this, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because there was a group that had left the church to start their own new religion yeah. based mm-hmm. on the Greek philosophy known as Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. So uh, just if this may be somebody's first time listening or their 50th time listening, but let's do a quick up to speed on Gnosticism for those of us who still might even still be confused <laughs> about what Gnosticism is. Well, you know, these things are a little abstract, and but basically... Socrates, Plato, or ancient Greek philosophers, they lived about 350 to 400 years before Christ was born. Their philosophy was very popular in the Roman Empire. A lot mm. of people, you know, read it and studied it and so forth. And, and uh, this Gnostic thought had evolved. It basically believed that the spiritual world was pure and that the material world was corrupted. Okay. Consequently, it's evil. And so they tried to figure out how to, to bring about these two things. You know, how do you have, in their mind, gods, 
in a monotheistic religion, God, that was pure and perfect. And then, but we live in a created universe that's corrupted. Okay. And so they were trying to wrestle through that and they didn't really uh, have the notion of Adam and Eve and how sin entered into the world that humanity brought it in. So they, they assumed that evil and sin was a result of God creating it. And so they're trying to rationalize through that because even today, when you go to university, that's a big argument that uh, atheistic philosophers and professors use against God is that, well, because evil exists, that means God created it. So that can't, he can't be a good God or he can't exist at all because that what their, their basic premise is, well, in order for God to be God, he's got to be perfect and pure. Well, evil exists so the fact that it exists means he's not perfect and pure, so he can't be God, so there is no God. That's right. kind of how they reason through it. But um, uh, in this particular case, the basic contrast between evil and good, material and spirit, is the core of Gnostic philosophy, and everything was how do you reconcile the existence of the two? And so they came up with a ladder basically like okay. a, or steps, you know, like uh, steps to steps be. to. Yeah. And so what happens is, is that, well, you're in the world and you're hundred percent corrupted. So if you learn something special, you take one step closer. And then each time you go up a rung of the ladder, which was a special knowledge, you know, a secret knowledge. Then what happened is over time you could become more spiritual and eventually you climbed your way to this spiritual thing. So it was very much a, uh, a man-centered, a human being-centered form of spirituality. And it was very powerful because it appealed to your pride that you can kind of work your way out and think your way out. But it was based not on what you did, it based on what you thought. And so that's hence the term Gnosticism, right? which comes from the Greek word gnosis, which is where we get the word knowledge. Okay. So that's what it is. So all you had to do is have the right knowledge, and, and then that is everything else. All the crazy stuff kind of flowed out of that basic premise. So this is really like, if we were to translate it into English, this is knowledgeism. 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 Yeah. doesn't matter what you believe in it. I mean, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what you do with your life as long as you just think the right thing. Right. So, and this, this, you see this today, this is really weird. And that is people say, well, I'm a good person, you know, well, they get drunk and beat their wife or they abuse their kids, you know, Uh, but I'm a good person. And, you know, I always want to say to that, no, 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 you're not. not. (laughs) Well, you challenged us that this, like you had just uh, alluded to that this Gnosticism isn't something that is only existing back in the times that John is writing, but mm-hmm. instead this philosophy of thinking has kind of been in our society yes. today. And um, as you talk about the practical implications, the similarities are overwhelming yeah. to yeah. me of between what was happening back then and what's happening now. So what are the practical implications for us today? Well, I think it was a way of thinking, and this way of thinking <clears throat> excuse me, puts all the emphasis on your own inner experience. It's what I think, it's what I believe, and this is in opposition to any objective truth. Let's go back to the illustration, you know, um, some gal, she's uh, drinking and doing drugs and neglecting her children, and she says, I'm a good person. Well, see, from her perspective, um, how she views herself, she's a good person, because she's trying, you know, she's trying, though her kids are 
you know, living in a squalor and they're not being nutritionally fed, they're not being cared for, and she's creating dramatic psychological harm on those children because of her drug addiction. Uh, this is why in our justice system, if you're a parent and you're addicted to drugs and using drugs, they take your kids away from you. You know, it's one of the few things that the justice system has really <laughs> solid. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, you're just damaging these human beings. And so it's a way of thinking. She thinks that. But somebody outside objectively, an objective truth says, no, no, it's not. Right. Okay. But when people go around today saying over and over and over again in our society, well, you need to discover your own truth. So the emphasis is on this concept. Well, this is what works for me. You know, you do you and I'll do me. And so perception becomes reality. Perception becomes truth. Mm. You know, I'm not an angry person. I'm not a bad person. I do good things. And so there's a lot of self-rationalization in that because there's no objective standard that says you can or cannot uh, judge yourself. It's <clears throat> only 100% me. So the, the implications of this overall is that life is all about pursuing what makes me feel good about myself. Okay. And this is why whenever there's a, a, a difficulty, a downturn in the economy or anything else is alcoholism, opiate abuse, illegal drug abuse, and all of the pot dispensaries are booming businesses. Right. Because of the Gnostic way of thinking that has infiltrated the mind of Americans, and it's global, it's not just Americans, but uh, it has trained us to think in this way. Life is all about me saving myself. And salvation, the way I will uh, define it for me, is feeling good about myself, feeling good about my life. So that's kind of it. All right. Well, I think that makes actually a lot more sense to me, honestly, because I've heard this multiple times and I still struggle sometimes with what Gnosticism is. So every time we talk about it, I get a little bit clearer vision of hope. what it is. That's my hope. Um, so in chapter one, John obviously refutes this by stating that Jesus Christ is God who saves us. He didn't state that our nature that they created in the image of God is tainted by sin. So we, mm -hmm. we can't save ourselves. He says that, right? Yes, you yes. can't get there on your own. You can't do it with secret knowledge. You can only do it one way, and that's through Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. And I, I highlighted this famous verse um, in verse 9, I believe. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from yeah. all unrighteousness. Yeah, that's a real famous one. And that is definitely the synopsis of chapter 1. Jesus is the one that saves you. Uh, he saves you from your sins by cleansing you from your sin. And that begins with us admitting the reality reality the that, objective reality right. yeah. not not living in the the fantasy world that yes of our perception yes well let's jump uh, jump into chapter two okay. and see where john goes from there um so we'll start in chapter two uh verse one my dear children i write this to you so that you will not sin but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world we know that he uh, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 
Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is in the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world and love for the Father is not in them, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pr- and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Oh, yeah. See, there's a lot of power pack stuff in there that I think we ought to go to. And there are three main basic thoughts here that he's dealing with. And so I'd like to kind of go through them one at a time. And, and uh, the first one, in order to understand it, is this, is that when you emphasize your inner experience as a truth over and above anything objectively outside of you, a standard, it allows you to rationalize any behavior. Okay, you can rationalize it. And, and that's why John says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I'm writing so that you're not falling into this trap of sin, mm. that, that you can just rationalize anything that you want to do. He basically says you can't separate what you believe from how you act because you're a complete person. You're, you're not these separate categories of reality. And this is the one of the primary ways in which people live senseless lives, is they think they believe one thing, but then they live opposite of that. Right. Now, <clears throat> we kind of call that being a hypocrite, right? Right. But uh, uh, we use that as a, a finger we pointed at, oh, that person's a hypocrite. That's it. Well, I, I suppose that you can find incongruence in anybody's life because we're imperfect, Right. right. But the whole point of hypocrisy isn't to use it as a point point, to other people. It's to look at myself and see, do I measure up to my my own expectations? Am I walking the walk and (laughs) talking the talk? And why would you want to ask that? Well, it's so funny because the sin in America that you're not allowed to feel anymore is guilty. So in America, we want to run around and we want to get rid of guilt. We'll do anything. So people don't feel guilty. People don't go to church, so they don't feel what? Guilty. Guilty. You don't want to watch shows without flawed and corrupted heroes so that they don't make you feel guilty. guilty. You know, uh, when something happens, you know, our first thing is, I didn't do it. It's not my fault. We blame everybody else for things that might be going on in our own life because we don't want to feel Guilty. Guilty. Guilty is the sin or it's the unpardonable thing you never want to experience. But this is what brings senselessness to life. See, this is what makes people feel aimless and lost. There's a direct correlation between pursuing your own truth, rationalizing your own behavior, uh, and 
contrasting that with an objective reality that you try to live up to. Psychologists right. found this over and over and over again, is that if you make up your own stuff, you are a lost, miserable individual. And I can't tell you how many people who were raised in the church or believe they're Christians live this way. Mm. They live this way. Uh, they, they spend their life trying to figure out how to get around what they think is the standard, the high standard, as opposed to saying, well, if I try to embrace it, allow Jesus to wash away my imperfections and cover me when I'm not doing good, but still pursue that in trying to seek the highest ideal, the image of Christ and to be like him, then my life is going to be, is going to make sense. If I don't do that, it becomes absolutely senseless. And this is the point of the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation, where he says, he tells the church there, he says, look, uh, this is what I have against you. You're not hot or cold. You're kind of lukewarm, and that's just gross. I want to spit you out. You know, I, I'd rather you be cold, <laughs> right? you know, than this in-between stuff. And that's what Gnosticism does. This way of thinking trains you to live in the in-between you know, you're in, there's no good or evil. There's no right or wrong. There's just whatever you make up and you pursue what you want. But this is a life of regret and a life of emptiness and a life of shallowness. And it's a life of inability to build strong bonds with other human beings, let alone build a strong bond of faith with God. I, I'm very concerned about the heartbreak that so many people are having in America you know, they live in the most affluent society since the history of the world began. I mean, today, the opportunity, the access, the quality of life that you have in comparison to how people lived 150 years ago is absolutely affluent and comfortable. And yet it seems like today in America, people are more... Um, empty, they're more lost, they're more heartbroken, they're more depressed, they're more, well, why is that? How can you have such affluence, whether it be healthcare, tech, or living, or food, and yet be so empty? Well, it's because you've been trained to think like a Gnostic, and that's what Gnosticism always does, is it robs you of any sense and any purpose for your Life. It's kind of strange to me that so many people in America have the highest standards for so many things in their life, right? right. Super high standards. When they would never cut corners, they'll never compromise on their health. People will spend any amount of money that they need to for their health, right? Mm. When, when they go to see the doctor and they, or they pick a doctor, nobody goes in there and says, well, you know, I want the worst doctor there is, you know, I want somebody who's just like super cheap and isn't very good at doctoring. You know what I'm saying? Right. Nobody says that. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, I want the best doctor there is in my state or whatever. Right. People do that. They would never compromise or cut corners with their health. People go to great lengths to make sure that they're healthy. You know, people will go to great, you know, they'll join gyms, they'll eat right, they'll do all this. People will never cut corners on their looks. I mean, they set really high standards of how they're going to look. Uh, they spend tons of money on clothes, right? Mm. And they buy an outfit just because it makes them look what? 
good. You know, they want, when they get a haircut, you know, it's like I said, they don't want to go come over to the pastor's house with an old fashioned, uh, buzz razor and get a haircut. Right. You know, they want to go to a stylist. Yes. They want, they want that. They, people, when it comes to their looks, you know, uh, uh, guys get hair plugs, women get Botox, uh, when it comes to our investments and our finances, we don't cut corners. You know, we want the best. We want the best investment that meets our goals. We think about it. We labor over it. We want the best return, the highest security. But when it comes to our souls, we cut corners all the time. We say we believe one thing and then do the opposite. And this is what makes our souls, you know, senseless. But the soul is the wellspring of your life. You can have all the money in the world. You can be the best looking person in the room. You can be the smartest person and have all the right goals and achieve them. But if your soul is a mess, you will be a mess Mm. no matter what. So, I mean, I think that it's just so prevalent in in these truths that are kind of coming out from John that we need today like we're so aimless we're we're as millennials as i mean just as a culture as a whole i mean we focus a lot on millennials because that's kind of my point of reference it's easy for me to kind of see that and what's going on in my friends but i mean i think there's just so many people that are so aimless and lost Mm -hmm. and they're justifying their actions um or the way they feel in order so that they don't have to feel bad anymore but then they just get more and more depressed we're seeing this these epidemics of drug addiction, alcohol abuse, all of this different stuff because they're so unhappy, even though this is a point in culture where they're like, well, you can do whatever you want and be happy. You can justify anything for your happiness. And it seems like the more and more people do that, the more and more (laughs) miserable they are. And John in this whole passage is talking about if you listen to this truth, this is the real way to happiness, to fill your soul, to have that wellspring bubble over and, and flow freely rather than just shriveling up and drying up into what you're currently experiencing. So I guess that's kind of what I'm seeing is like it just feels like these truths are so apparent when you put them in the context of what we're dealing with today that it's like, well, duh, that exactly makes sense. So. Tell us, tell us a little bit more. What's the, you'd said you had three main themes in this passage. What's our second theme? Well, I think, um, the, the, what's happening in the section, second section between verses seven through 14 is you have to understand the Gnostic argument, uh, in order, cause he's doing two things. Cause he kind of bounces back. Well, what you had is ancient from the very beginning, but it's also a new thing. And you're like, okay, why is he kind of ping-ponging that way? Well, here's why. In Gnosticism, this is what they believed. They believed, if you look back, all the way back to this ancient Greek philosophy of Socrates and uh, Plato, what you're going to see is they came, and, and in the ancient days, they came, and they, they hit us with this, and this was awesome. And then another philosopher came along and hit us with us, and that was a new thing, and that was awesome. And another philosopher is coming along, and they're going to hit us with a new thing. And see, remember I talked about the ladder thing? Right. And so they saw these things these as— These are all the secret knowledges oh, you need yeah, to Yeah, here's going to be a new go. one. Here's gonna, so what it did is it always became, we're in love, the, our ancient— Ancient pattern shows there's always a new thing, so we're in love with the new thing. Right. 
we don't have that today at all. <laughs> no, we're, we're not obsessed with the newest phone or the new TV yeah. or the new technology that doesn't exist. Or the today. new idea, right? Or the new way of looking at humanity, or the new uh, political organization, or the new ideology, or the new this, or the new drug, or the new clo- style, right. or new, yeah. And that's based on well, our ancient history shows us that the new is always better. But, of course, that in and of itself is false because, as uh, Solomon wrote, you know, 3,000 years ago, that there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) It all just kind of cycles around. And if you've lived long enough, you know that about fashion sense. You know what I'm saying? Hey, vintage is coming back. (laughs) Vintage is back. I heard parachute pants might be making (laughs) a round. Oh, that's scary. uh, (laughs) Fanny packs. Fanny packs are in. That's right. But look, no, so so it's kind of like this in scientific materialism. This is what atheists believe is that nothing exists outside of the material world, and what they say is that science is a study of the material world. If you look at the history of scientific discovery, we always discover new things. So it's just a matter of time till we know everything and have all the answers. That's mm-hmm. why science is the answer. But but the problem is is that robs you of any sense that your life will ever make because we're spiritual beings and we have souls. Look at verse nine. He says. If uh, anyone claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister, they are still in the darkness. Verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Notice that what he's saying is that Jesus' people have sense because they don't think when they're upset or they're bothered or or there's an issue, they start with themselves first before they look outward. But Gnosticism always says start outward. Don't ever look at yourself. And this is why so many Christians think Gnostically. Um, Here's a perfect example of how this is working. Research shows over and over again that if you retire, sell your house, and you move to an island because you always dreamed about living on a beach with an island, but you don't know anybody there, you will not live as long as people who retire in their hometown and stay. Mm. And the research says this because it means basically that what makes our final years healthier and happier is the relationships that we have built with people. But what's fascinating is so many people are at the point now that the most booming thing out there is called the silver divorce. So people get to 60 and they're like, well, I'm not happy. My life, I missed out on some stuff. So I'm going to get divorced and go do what I want. Right. But what's interesting is those people don't live as long and they're not, they're, as a matter of fact, they're less happy, you know? Now, obviously sometimes there's, a, there's uh, people change and something bad goes on and there's criteria for, in the Bible for when it's, when it's okay to divorce and when not, you can jump into that. My point, though, is that when you have a boom in silver divorces in the United States of America in particular, that points to something else that's going on. And that what's going on there is that instead of starting with us internally of why we're not happy, we always focus on changing the outside. And that just never works. Because Gnostics thought progressively. They were super progressive. Everything that knew was good. And John refutes both of those all at once. He, he refutes both sides their claim. The first thing he says, well, look, if you look back at the beginning, what was ancient in the beginning, it's always been with us and it's always been good. It doesn't show that every new thing was great. It's just that the, all the new things that they thought, the trends at the time that they thought were good died. Right. And you never hear about them again. It's kind of a sifting. So this thing is 
stood the test of time and it always, so it's ancient, but it's also new. And so the reality of Jesus is ancient and new at the same time. And he gives us then stages of maturity that we can grow to. You know, we can be children and we come to Christ initially just saying, man, my sins are forgiven. And then he talks to young men who are struggling to overcome the evil one. What does that mean? You know, well, they're in, they're in fight club, right. right? They're in fight club and what we talked about during that series. And then he says, fathers, he says, you know, you just kind of know, and the word, you know the word of God, you know life, you have a wisdom you about that experience. you. Yeah, so, so that's what he's doing in this second section, I think, is really, really important, and that's why it's applicable to us today. Well, and I think it's important to note, too, because um, John kind of represents these different uh, maturations throughout yeah. your life, and yeah. I think that our faith is very similar to that. You know, we start off in, in, as children in our faith, and we're only really kind of con- focused on, hey, Jesus forgave my sins and like, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of get up to, you know, the next level of your faith and you're starting to go, okay, what can I do now that I've been saved? What am I going to do with my new salvation? And then as you hit that maturity of like a father or an older person in your faith, you have that ability to go, well, I can, I can help people who are growing in their faith. You know, when I see things coming, it's not a huge surprise. I'm not in fight and flight response as much anymore. Right. I can I can deal with things as they come. And so it's an interesting uh, parallel, I think, to our growth in faith. And I think this Gnostic thinking kind of like stunts our growth. Like yeah, it, it very keeps so. people's faith in that childlike thing of, well, you were saved and that's all you need. And you know, they, they right. stop at step one of their, their, their faith development. And they're like, well, the world says all I need is just this one little thing, or, you yeah. know, I can believe whatever I want and then everything else is fine. I'm good. I can. And then they're, th- and then they say to themselves, my faith doesn't work. Right. <laughs> Cause they want it their way, right? Yes. They want it their way. So, so. Uh, what's the, we're, we're close to our, the end of our time. So let's wrap up. What's our third and final point that John makes in this passage that we worked on today? Well, in verse 15, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And he says, if you really love the world, guess what? You can't love God. Those, those are mutually exclusive ideas. You have to pick one or the other. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you love the world, you lose the world and you lose heaven. But if you love heaven, you get the world thrown in, you know, kind of a thing. It's a bonus. And when you dig down to the level of your soul, what you find is that the deception of Gnosticism begins with the love of the earthly world. You know, your expectations of what this world is supposed to do to you, for you, and through you are so high. You know, this world's supposed to make me happy. Uh, I married this person and they're supposed to make me happy. Uh, God's job is to bless me so I can be happy. But what you don't realize in your level of your soul is what you're saying is that the world has the potential to fill me, make me whole and make me happy. And the Gnostics use the principle that since the world was corrupt, it allowed them to rationalize their love for it. See, well, I'm, I believe the right things about the spiritual world so I can enjoy all of this. And as long as they believe that secret knowledge, they were okay. And, and John just refutes this with just a powerful statement. He says, look, you can't do both. You have to choose. And I, and I feel that so many Christians today are just absolutely miserable. They're miserable in their lives. They're miserable in the faith. They're miserable in their own growth. They don't like themselves. Right. And they're miserable, and this breaks my heart. And the reason why, I believe, is because John says, you don't realize how much you love the world. 
Mm. And you, until you love God, you can't really enjoy the world. You know, I, I know some people that are really super deep in the faith, you know, I mean, they are the most heavenly minded God loving people you'll ever know. And man, they know how to live life. They suck the marrow out of it. You know, they, <laughs> the food they eat, the wine they drink, the people they spend time, you know, their physical activities, their travel is just every, it's just fun and rich and deep. It, it, they're not using it to quench a thirst of their soul because God has done that. And so now every moment is a moment of ministry and beauty and discovery and wondery. And that's what people really want, but they never find it. You know why? Because they love the world instead of God. Mm. Well, that's a powerful thought to end on. Uh, we're going to be talking more about this this passage and how it applies to our lives today on Thursday. Um, but I just want to encourage you guys, read through this passage on your own a couple more times. Start a conversation with someone. Read it with your family or, or, or ask a friend to join you on this journey and have a conversation about what you're hearing and seeing um, in the parallels between what they are, ref- what John's refuting in this passage from the old times and how it's applying to today. So um, share the, share an episode, share this thought with somebody, share the passage with someone and just say, hey, what are you getting out of this? So that you can have a conversation and grow your own faith and, and kind of refine. Amen. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll see you on Thursday here on The Salty Pastor. <laughs> Signing off.